You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about oversized weapons. I mean, Final Fantasy, Monster Hunter, Berserk... Having the ridiculously fucking giant sword is a classic fantasy trope for good reason. Like, everyone wants to just have the awesome weapon that is able to just wreck everything that's put in front of it. And that is no different in Dungeons and Dragons. However, how to address oversized weapons is a bit more contentious because 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, all role playing games, honestly are designed around balance, that there's supposed to be a certain amount of output of damage per character per turn. So you're going to have players ask you to, like, can I have a buster sword? Like, that's just a very, very common thing that happens. I would honestly be more shocked if you are not asked than if you are. And even besides swords, there's like the massive, you know, dwarven hammers that even show in a lot of D&D artwork. You know, there's, you know, the great club is another canonical thing that is this. The giant fuck off axe. Like, giant weapons are cool. And people want to be cool and use such things. So, we're going to be going over a couple of different options of how to go about actually using them. I'm going to just go ahead and start with the simplest, easiest, you know, boring, easy answer, which is. All the weapons that adventurers use are just assumed to be the most effective versions. Because in Dungeons and Dragons, the characters are superhuman in every way, shape, and form compared to, you know, humans of Earth. Like, you, they're just a, an adventure is capable of physical feats far beyond us. So, if as a DM, you simply want to say, Ah, yes, the great axe that does a d12 damage, you know, against a dragon's scales is that enormous axe that 
is you it has to be to be able to penetrate or the great sword is that you know buster sword dragon slayer sword giant type of thing to be able to do that 2d6 plus damage that a great sword does and so on and so but, forth but i think that that th- okay so large things are only large because other things around it aren't so large and it's only especially interesting or different when one or a few of them are massive rather than everything is massive. Or the counterpoint to that, you know, in Monster Hunter, most people just have the giant weapons because there's giant things that need to die. And in the D&D world, it could be argued that it is more close to that philosophy for adventurers. And that maybe there's the difference between, you know, weapons of war between humanoids versus adventurer weapons for you know, fighting against a dragon or kraken or troll or other dangerous things that are out there. But like I said, that's the kind of boring answer. So technically speaking, that is the official rule. Because if you look at the artwork of the various, you know, dwarf cleric who's got, you know, hammer in one hand, shield in the other, there is no fucking way the hammer that is shown in that picture weighs the couple of pounds that the Warhammer is said to weigh. Because all weapons do actually have a listed weight in the player's handbook. But the art does not correlate with the numbers shown unless either A, all adventure weapons have some kind of subtle magic that makes them much lighter, B, all of the weapons are tinfoil thin and hollow and just made to look big for cool sake, or just some... I, I just imagine that that like you you look, you pay closer attention to like the thing and then you just like you know notice this tiny runes and it's read it's like made in China. <laughs> He's like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, like that giant hammer is just actually foil thin, but just has some kind of runes to actually give it structural integrity to be used as an adventurer's weapon. Like that very well could be, and that is an option that can be used to do this kind of stuff. That it is that reduced weight or Maybe gravity just is a fuck ton lighter on like the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons and that a lot of the superhuman physical feats is just due to a low gravity, kind of like, you know, Silver Age Superman. The point being, you can go with just the weapons are what they are and you just don't worry about it. You could have it be where there is a magical explanation where it is just, you know, reinforced somehow or lightened somehow to have the giant weapons. Or you could go on and homebrew your own mechanics of having giant weapons. And honestly, I'd just for fun's sake rather focus on this third one more than the rest. So how to balance giant weapons in a 5th edition D&D game. So there are a lot of factors to consider whether you want to just kind of hand wave and just say, ah, yes. You know, if you wanted to have a giant weapon, then you could just use some of the rules that do exist for using a size category larger weapon. So there is uh, rules in the books that a weapon does an additional die of damage per size category larger. So let's say if a troll had a great axe, then instead of being a or sorry, it had a great axe that was scaled to it. So a large sized great axe. 
then that axe, instead of doing the 1d12, a medium creature's axe would be, would be 2d12. So one die additional. So that does also scale up for something like the great sword. So it is double the weapon dice. So instead of doing 2d6, a large one would do 4d6. A huge one in the hands of an actual giant would then be 6d6. And I guess then a gargantuan one would be 8d6. And so that is how weapon damage officially does scale up. So that would probably be the easiest mechanic to just kind of copy paste if you want to use such large weapons. So if you have a large sized greatsword that, you know, your fighter takes off the corpse of a troll that the party managed to kill, and then you have this greatsword that is 4d6 damage, so double the weapon dice of a normal weapon. The question that must be asked, or questions, I should say, because there are definitely a couple of big ones. Number one, how the fuck can they swing such a thing? And number two, how big a deal is it to have a weapon that does that amount of damage? And the balance of those two questions is what a DM needs to consider if they do want to implement rules around using a larger weapon. So, Nathan, as a DM who has actually used magically more damaging weapons in the game, how do you feel that the balance is different when you have weapons in the game that deal additional dice of damage? So effectively, what happens when you do that is um, it makes it so your the average amount of damage a character can deal is much higher because when you roll a 1d10, for example, you have an equal chance of getting 1, 2, 3, 4, so on and so forth, up to 10. So there's a lot of, uh, there's basically a larger spread. But if you get two dice, it means that on average, with two dice, uh, it's way probability works is typically the two will add up to a certain number that is, and, and that number will become the most common number. So for example, if you wrote 2d6, the most common number will be around a six to seven when you add them both up. And um, effectively, it means that your weapon becomes a lot more reliable, but um, it still is, there's still a small chance, there's smaller chances that you get massive fucking damage or really, really small damage. Indeed. So the word reliable that you used is a very good way to put it, because on a single die, you will have that 10% chance to roll a one on the damage die. But the fact that you are rolling those two dice does drastically change the average damage. So even though it's just an additional die, statistically speaking, the odds of rolling particularly low uh, or particularly high, in fact, just are much lower. So your average damage, every single attack that you hit, will likely be significantly higher. Because even if you do roll a one or two, you always have that you know equal and opposite chance, really, on the second damage die to roll quite well. So you can have a one and an eight, you know, nine plus, you know, let's say you've got three strengths, and then that's a 12 damage hit with a single weapon attack, which is quite significant. So the other question then that needs to be asked, keeping in mind that yes, this is going to affect the combat balance in favor of whoever has such weapons, is then how accessible is this in the world? So how often do people use large weapons? And 
as we said before, what is required in order to wield such weapons. So how to go about that is, you know, as always, up to you as the DM. But so a couple of suggestions I'll throw out for you. Either A, this is just a common thing. Maybe you have monsters wield large weapons out there more often. Maybe you have like dedicated monster hunter teams. Like if you really want to kind of theme some characters in a D&D game after Monster Hunter, you absolutely can do that. And then you can just have the giant weapons made, have there be smiths who specialize in such things. And then you can even have magic giant weapons out there. And you could totally do that. And that would be awesome because, I mean, the idea of Monster Hunter is a cool one. And D&D has a lot of awesome giant things that are really dangerous to everything around them. So that totally logically works out as well, which obviously is quite appealing to me. On the other hand, if you do want it to be a more uncommon thing, how to go about that would be much more tricky. Because let's say you don't have dedicated smiths to large weapons, then the only source easily would be finding them off sentient large creatures. You know, maybe, you know, a young giant, so it would still be large sized and not uh, huge sized yet, has, you know, a sword that the adventurer takes after the battle. Then you have an item that is made for a grip much larger than your characters. So you could maybe balance out the potential damage by saying that you are not proficient with this, you know, more exotic type of weapon, and then either require them to use downtime to train in this particular weapon and expend the gold and the time to learn how to use this non-proficient weapon. Or because they are not proficient, or and or really, you don't have to do one or the other, but uh, because you are not proficient with this size of weapon, well, proficiency means something rather specific in D&D. So if you're not proficient, then you don't get to add your proficiency bonus to your attack rolls. So in that situation, if you have, you know, a low to mid-level character, let's say it's someone with a plus three proficiency bonus at that point. So someone level six or so. If you have a fighter that does not get to add that plus three proficiency bonus to their attacks, but still is able to do the additional damage because if they hit, then they've earned that hit. That would be a pretty fair way to do that, in my opinion. They just don't start with proficiency, but over the course of the campaign, they can either train to get that proficiency, they could choose to take a weapon proficiency feat, you know, uh, what was it, weapon master, I want to say, weapon mastery, something like that, which gives you proficiency specifically in a couple of weapons. So then you could have that option available for your players to gain proficiency in some of these more exotic, uncommon weapons that might be out there. And then that honestly, to me, is probably one of the more fair way to go about this. They don't start proficient, so then they just don't get their proficiency bonus added until time passes in the campaign for them to train and study with the use of these weapons in order to gain said proficiency. And at that point, the player has earned the additional damage that they will be doing. On the other hand, you could also decide that you want it to be more difficult to use such weapons. Because as, you know, players level up, they gain extra attack, you know, depending on their class, of course. So again, sticking with fighter, let's say that you have uh, an 11th level fighter, then at that point, they have 
three attacks per action, plus the action surge ability to do an additional three attacks on a single turn. So you then have six attacks. And if you do have a creature that is proficient with these large weapons, then that is a potential enormous increase to the amount of damage. And that definitely changes the math of the game balance for that character. So it totally can make sense for a DM to want it to be, again, more difficult. So maybe you want to have it be that, okay, you are not proficient or proficient, that part doesn't even matter, but maybe because you are unable to just flat out cannot hold the thing as you're supposed to, that you just always have disadvantage on the attack roll. You can do just potential massive damage, but you are always rolling with disadvantage unless you have something to counteract that, like, uh, you know, reckless attack with a barbarian, or maybe uh, just you use the flanking optional rules to potentially grant a character advantage, and that you must strategize more in order to make up for that disadvantage. So just, I've been rambling on about it. I'm just curious, what would be your take on the things we've said so far, Nathan? The way I see it is that I think that having the weapon become more familiar to the character definitely would be something quite cool and um, wouldn't be particularly uh, fun to implement uh, in in a game because it would definitely reward the player for um, using the weapon for over a period of time despite its clunkiness. And yeah, I think overall it's really, yeah, it really fits with the idea of having a large weapon and just growing, trying to get used to this massive, massive hunk of uh, metal that you need to wield as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And just to also put out there that there are limits on what a character's carrying capacity even is. So in theory, yeah, you know, a giant might have a great sword that would do 6d6. The question, though, is can a character lift such a weapon? So if you assume that, you know, a great sword weighs, let's just for math's sake, say something like 10 pounds, then there actually is, well, there is math, obviously, but uh, in the enlarged spell, it does actually mention that when something doubles in size, it increases in weight by eight. And that's just math. But that's one of my favorite spells in how it's written, just because they do acknowledge math in that, which, sorry, tangent. Anyway, the point being, a large weapon that is double the size of a normal version would be D uh, so doubled in size, but eight times the weight. So if you had a weapon that is a size category larger, it would weigh eight times as much, which is why it is insane to think about the amount of strength that, you know, characters like Cloud or anyone who does wield a giant weapon needs to be able to swing those damn things and especially to ever stop such a swing just because... It's such an enormous amount of weight. So if you had a normal weapon that would weigh 10 pounds, then that would mean a large-sized version would be 80 pounds. And then that also means that if there was a huge-sized version, that that would weigh 640 pounds. Because again, it would just be 8 and then times 8 again. So there is, just because math, a limit on how large a weapon a player would practically be able to wield. Because again, 
even if the party manages to kill a giant and take their sword, that doesn't mean the character could even pick up the damn thing. Because if you have a thing that weighs 640 pounds, it doesn't matter how cool it is. Character's not strong enough to just pick up the damn thing. They just can't. So there is this built-in limit then that you could only wield a weapon that is one size category larger. Unless. And now we can lean more heavily into the magic side of things. So magic is magic. It can, for all intents and purposes, do whatever the fuck we need it to. So if you want to have magic be more open in your world that can just magically make things lighter, then okay, if you had the magic to, say, make an item that weighs, you know, one-tenth of its normal weight, well then that huge weapon, instead of weighing 640 pounds, would be 64 pounds, which still really heavy, but wieldable. And there is a lot that you could play with the math. You could choose to treat, you know, the weapon damage, maybe it's a little bit different because it is magically light. So maybe it's not quite as overwhelmingly powerful. Or, uh, so I mentioned the large spell, actually. And that is one thing that infuriates me, because that spell purposefully nerfs the amount of benefit that its effect is supposed to give you. So it is spelled out in the books that something that is a size category larger wields that additional die. However, the enlarged spell, instead of adding that damage die, just says that your weapon attacks deal an additional d4 of damage. I fucking hate that, but that is the, you know, official phrasing of that spell. And that is another option that if you want to use a large weapon, that it just does, you know, 2d6 plus 1d4 if you have a big greatsword. And that is a way that if you want to have lower numbers for your character, but thematically give them big sword, you can go that route. Although making the damage dice messy like that, 2d6, 1d4... Oh, I hate that so much, but it is a route that you can take. So I would not be, you know, adequately explaining if I didn't at least bring that subject up. So I was thinking about a way to make um, the large heavy weapon make sense with all this kind of thing, because if you made it lighter, it would kind of kill the entire purpose of having a giant ass weapon, because the main thing is that it's supposed to be a force multiplier. And, but the thing is that when you have it that large and heavy, the main thing that's doing damage is not actually the guy's strength. It's the fucking weight of the thing. So one thing that could be cool is um, having these so- sorts of uh, blades that weigh, like, as you said before, like 64 uh, pounds or whatever. And, and when you move it fast enough or at a certain, certain angle or something like that, basically like a strike it just increases its weight maintain while maintaining its momentum momentum actually a uh, quick historical tangent about that i i don't remember what they're uh, actually called but uh something along the lines of a mercurial sword have you ever heard of such a thing nope so i i honestly don't even remember where i read about this before but i did come across articles in the past about how there were swords that were made with a hollow channel full of mercury and that when you're holding the sword upright then the it would be balanced with that extra weight of the mercury closer to the handle but then when you swing it that liquid would flow closer to the tip of the sword 
and then increase the actual striking power of the blade because the weight would be going to the tip and increasing the centrifugal force of your swing. So that is a thing like that has been thought of and creating such an effect with magic is definitely something that would be possible. But just the fact that there actually was thoughts along that direction just by like fluid dynamics, I just think is really neat. Uh, sorry, science tangent over. Anyway, so the question to backtrack uh, once again for a moment, though, we do want to consider the mechanics balance of it. But I do want to reiterate once again, how much do you care about the balance of it? Adventurers are generally seen to be exceptional individuals in the world. So whether that is that, you know, uh, more or less that uh, your adventurers may be the only ones or just a particular adventurers of a rare breed or just if adventurers are common in your world. If you don't care about giving them more damage output, then you really don't need to overthink this. And then you could just flat out go ahead and just say, oh, yeah, you know, that is a common thing. It's totally fine that they just do more damage, especially because if you consider a high magic D&D world, there is a magic item, the flame tongue blade, which can be applied to any sword that does an additional 2d6 fire damage to all hits. So the thing is, this is a rare magic item, but on a great sword, that does 2d6. And then with this magic weapon, deals an additional 2d6. So for all intents and purposes, besides the fact that it is doing additional fire damage and not just more slashing damage, mechanically speaking, that is absolutely identical to the rules as written, large great sword. So that could be interpreted that, okay, so you, a rare magic item is considered to be the equivalent power of a large weapon. So that can give you, as the DM, an idea on how common or uncommon you want it to be. So you could then just use that knowledge to figure out, okay, how much could such things cost? So if you want to have a sword that is strong enough to survive adventuring, at that size, and if you just wanted to make a new magic item that just is, you know, large greatsword, then you can just have that be a rare magic item that just deals 46 slashing damage and, you know, in inscribed with runes of, you know, unbreakability so that the sword itself can just deal with the material stress of such a life. Uh, on that note, another science tangent. Material science is a limiting factor in the history of sword manufacturing. There is a reason that something like the buster sword does not exist as a historical weapon, because steel will bend or break if it takes too much force, and that is not something that you want to happen to a battlefield weapon. So even the largest greatswords that ever exist, you know, something like the Scottish Claymores, I want to say like the largest actual one ever found was something around seven feet tall, handle included. So a massive blade, but still a lot thinner than any of the giant swords that we've actually mentioned on this podcast so far. And that is because of the fact that if you have too much weight towards the end of a blade, then when you impact the middle of the blade, then momentum is bending both the base and the tip around that point of impact. 
So metal is not going to hold up. Even if you have great quality steel, there is a limit to how big a sword can be. So things like the Buster Sword, like there are people who have tried to make real life versions for the fun of it. Uh, there's a fun YouTube channel, uh, Michael Cthulhu, that just makes giant swords. Like that's just his shtick. And uh, he has made a Buster Sword, but it is unwieldable to a human in the way it is shown, the thickness of that blade, not to mention the enormous profile. So in a magic world, you can get rid of the materials. So if you treat giant weapons as magic items, which they would need to be to actually exist, then that, I would say, is probably the best way to deal with oversized weapons. So if you want to just have there be a giant sword in your game, then you can simply have a large-sized weapon that requires its own unique proficiency and then will do that 4d6 slashing damage to cleave through whatever is in your path. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. So, so suppose on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars lowest a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to Patreon Discord, where we will chat with the cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.